Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode <laughs> 254, I am very lucky, privileged to have uh, Austin and Austin Armstrong. Don't know what happened to me there. I just <laughs> faded away. She is a dating and relationship coach. And yeah, she's here to talk with us today. How are you today, lady? I am fabulous. How are you? <laughs> the sun is shining, so I am smiling, lady. Yes, mm. indeed. <laughs> now, you are a dating and relationship coach. Now, this is the thing. Anytime, like, different coaches get on to the sort of coaching bandwagon for many different reasons. But when it comes mm. to sort of dating and relationships, there's always how can I put it? It's always tinged with like a real strand of personal, like thing, like personal anguish or personal experience, which has brought them to this. What was the moment where you went, okay, because you used to work in pharmaceuticals, if I was right, if I got that right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What made you switch? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a great question. And I couldn't agree more that most coaches move into the coaching space because of their own personal life experience. And they want to help others triumph the same thing that was a challenge or a struggle for them. And that was quite true for myself too. Um, so I was yes, in pharmaceutical sales for quite some time. And I always felt it was a position where I was happy. Everything was pretty solid. I had a great quality of life. All was well. However, I felt that there was this yearning in me to do something bigger and have a greater impact. I felt like my impact was limited. Um, and I wanted to help people with matters of the soul, as I like to call them, like life, real life, stuff that happens. And I've always kind of considered myself someone with a high emotional intelligence and I have a lot of empathy and compassion for other people. And I wanted to be able to take that and do something with it. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a little seed I feel that was always kind of like planted in my heart that I wanted to help and serve others, but I just didn't know how that was going to happen. I didn't understand how I could, um, unless I went back to school for psychology, uh, or therapy. And I didn't really want to go that traditional route. Um, and so I actually went through a really deep transformation and healing process after a really tough breakup. When I was 28, I, um, had been in what I like to call a series of unhealthy relationships, romantic relationships in my twenties mm -hmm. and just playing out the same old patterns, kind of attracting the same old type of men that were unfaithful and, um, not telling the truth and not really in their integrity. And, um, so when my last relationship ended, when I was 28, I went on a really deep healing journey to first and foremost, satiate my mind and understand like, why does the same thing keep happening? Because there's clearly a pattern that's playing out here. And number two, how can I prevent that from happening in the future? 
And number three, what do I need to heal in order to create and well, I guess first attract and then co-create a really healthy, deeply fulfilling, happy relationship, because that's what I wanted. And it wasn't happening with whatever way I was going about dating and relationships in my twenties. It just wasn't coming to fruition. And so I went on a really deep healing journey, um, at that point in time. And something else I also should note is that I was living in Los Angeles at the time that I was going through this breakup. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Please continue. Yeah. And I just remember all of my friends saying, it's so hard to date here. It's so hard to date. No men want to commit. Everyone just wants something casual. Basically dating sucks was like kind of the belief system around women that were looking for partnership in LA. And so I was like, okay, I don't want that to be my story. And I'm committed to not letting that be my experience. Hmm. So I really started diving into the work around reprogramming the subconscious mind, which is where a lot of our limiting belief systems live. And that really shifted the game for me when it came to the type of experiences that I was having in dating and, um, you know, with a mul- along with a multitude of other things, but I think the belief system is such a key part when it comes to dating and what actually you're creating in your reality. Um, and so I just felt like I figured something out. I had like a really beautiful, um, you know, prosperous dating life when I was in LA, I, it, it, it wasn't by any means a negative experience at all. And then, um, you know, ended up meeting my partner through that experience and, um, you know, for the first time in my life entered a really happy, healthy relationship with a man who is completely devoted to me. So I was like, what, what code did I crack here? Because everyone else's seems in my, in my surrounding seems to be kind of complaining about the same thing. And I've always had a fascination with love and relationships since I was young. And I have also had a really big fascination with like neuroscience and how the brain works. Um, and I also have had a large fascination with like the spiritual realm of things and healing and how healing takes place in the body. Um, and like the bridge that, you know, um, is created between like what people I think sometimes think is more ethereal, but like now there's coming out more and more science around what's happening in the body around trauma and how like all of these different alternative healing modalities can help regulate the nervous system and release trauma from the body. And so I was like, okay, I know that I'm interested in all of these things. How do I kind of pull it together and tie it together and create an offering from the path that I have kind of forged for myself in dating and relationships and learning how to like take what was a pretty, I don't want to say catastrophic. I feel like that's too strong of a word, but like, you know, the best way to put it is my love life was just kind of a shit show. It was just, it was just, it was a mess. And, um, and I went from it being a mess to being in a really healthy, fulfilling relationship in a short period of time, probably like six months between the time that I was single and started my healing journey 
and attracted my partner. Um, and so I kind of, I had a friend at the time who was in the coaching industry and she was like, I think this is a business. And I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure. She's like, you could definitely, you know, you know, share your gift with the world and your codes and your secrets with the world and help women enter a relationship that is healthy and, and, and really guide them in the process of attracting and calling in the type of conscious relationship that they're yearning for. Um, and that's when I just decided, okay, I'm going to do this thing. Um, I'm going to, this is how I'm going to share my gift with the world. And this is how I'm going to serve people. And it's still just something that I'm continuously fascinated by continuing to learn, um, and continuing to like enrich and grow my offerings based on the, yeah, continual study and and life experience that I have through relationship. Mm. Yeah. No, fascinating. Fascinating. Because like, this is the thing that, wow. Okay. Going through your twenties in LA and I basically, Hey, that city, how can I put that city? That city, it's, it's weird. I always look at LA as a bit of a weird place, kind of like Las Vegas. It's got, a number of different faces and the one everyone sees is the glitz and glamour, but no one really kind of looks at the typical working nine to five sort of lifestyle, which comes from that scene. I think some times people who live there get caught up with the glitz and glamour and forget about the nine to five. Mm -hmm. I like one of the things which sort of intrigues me about your sort of early twenties and then having your sort of epiphany was it a case of you found yourself trapped in the sort of cycle because you didn't actually sort of give yourself time to have that sort of self-reflection to like go, hey, am I the problem or is it the rest of the world, which is the problem? Yeah, such a good point, right? Mm-hmm. So um, absolutely. So I actually had a really, really tough breakup when I was 24 too. So there was like these two breakups that were really big uh, points in my healing journey and my discovery of self. Yeah. Um, And so when that one particular breakup happened at 24, it was really, really painful. I was in a dark place for about a year. Um, And that was when my spiritual awakening started to happen, but I wasn't really willing to look at, is this me? it still was coming from the level of, cause the, the relationship that I'd been in at that time was emotionally and verbally abusive. Mm-hmm. That partner was being unfaithful on multiple occasions. And so it was really easy for me to just be like, that's a him thing and not a me thing. And at that point in time, I was healing, but I was healing on what I like to call like the ego level of like, Oh, okay. I put, I put my ego back together in place and like, um, I'm all good. And, you know, I, I feel better and more confident and I feel like myself again, because that, that particular breakup really, really took a toll on me. And then I put myself back out into the world and I attracted a man who was definitely not verbally or emotionally abusive. Um, he ended up being unfaithful towards the end of the partnership, but we had a a decent relationship, uh, for a period of time there. And, so I like to say that because I, I, I do believe that we don't go backwards. I do believe that we continue to attract better. 
Um, but there were still red flags that were showing up in that relationship that I chose to overlook because there was a piece of me and a lot of women tend to resonate with this. There was a piece of me that feared losing the connection. If I were to say, Hey, that thing that you did is not cool. And I won't tolerate that. Um, the feminine energy, not always, but the feminine energy tends to value in, um, connection and love. And so sometimes what can happen in that is we'll for, we'll self-abandon for the connection and the love to maintain that connection and love. Um, and so after the, the breakup happened at 28, that was the first time that I really chose to say, okay, what is my role in all of this? How have I created this reality for myself and on top of that, not just how have I created this, but like, how have I been a common denominator in the things that have been happening in my relationships? And I had a really dear friend of mine, uh, who was a big part of my healing journey at that time. She said, this is not happening to you. It's happening for you. And that really shifted everything for me. Um, I think we're kind of taught that we're, it, it depends on where you grew up and and, um, you know, what your societal conditioning is like, but where I grew up here in the South, a lot of, a lot of the beliefs that I kind of took on were like this bad thing happened to me. Why it's that victim consciousness that we it's innocent. We're taught it. Um, but it's not helpful. We get to a point where that victim consciousness can be not helpful. And in this particular situation, in my situation, it wasn't helpful for me to psychoanalyze what happened in my previous relationships from the lens of this. Why did this happen to me again? Instead, instead I chose to look at it through the lens of what is this teaching me? How is this happening for me? What can I do? What action can I take to help heal this pattern so that I have a more positive trajectory when it comes to dating and relationships in the future? Because that's what I actually desire. Mm. Interesting you say about the whole victim mentality. Like, I think sometimes it stems to, yeah, there is that victim mentality. But I also think it also stems from the fact that people don't actually take responsibility for like their actions in a relationship in their own lives. So mm. it's a case of like, uh, right, oh, this always happens to me, but surely there was part of you which is responsible for that relationship going the way it did. It might yes. be like, hey, you might not be the person totally comparable for it all, but yes. you still played a part. And Absolutely. I think a lot of people don't actually acknowledge the fact that they are, there is a responsibility there on themselves and they mm -hmm. need to sort of embrace that to sort of help them get better, you know? Yes, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head and responsibility is the perfect word to describe, you know, the action that we have to take if we want to shift or change any pattern in our lives. We have to be looking at how was I responsible in this dynamic too, because it's always a two-way street. And a very specific example that I give my clients a lot about the relationship, the, the last relationship that ended in infidelity is my, my understanding 
how I contributed to the unhealth in the relationship, which one of the things, one of the themes that I noticed when I was on my healing journey at that time was, okay, the last two men I've dated have been incredibly emotionally unavailable in some way, shape or form. So that means that there has to be a part of me that is allowing emotional unavailability and, or also emotionally unavailable. Mm -hmm. And so where I got to take responsibility is I got to look at the areas in which I was emotionally unavailable to that partner. How was I emasculating him in certain ways? How was I not allowing him to share what was really and truly going on for him at, at the time that we were in a partnership? I think I kind of pushed away or didn't create a safe space for his emotional expression which I think is important to have in all relationships is a safe space for us to share what's going on emotionally with, with one another. Um, that's to me a, a big part of intimacy. And so I had to look at the areas in which I was not being emotionally available to that person. And how can I not only shift that in my next relationship, but shift it today in every relationship that I have with my family members, with my, you know, colleagues at the time, with my friends. And also where am I putting up with emotionally unavailable behavior outside of a romantic partnership where I need to maybe set a boundary or say, Hey, this isn't really working for me anymore. Mm, yeah. That curious, very curious. Yeah. Because like, this is a thing, like, being emotionally available and a safe space. Like the whole thing is like, I don't know how you see the definition of a safe space. And like basically, like say your current partner sees that as a definition of a safe space. Um, I'm sure there's been many a discussion which has had between the two of you uh, on your like emotional awakening, say. Uh, <laughs> So how, like, what did you define as a safe space before you came to this realization? And what did you define after you came to your realization? That's a good point. A great question, because I, I think the truth is I didn't really know what safety felt like. Um, I grew up in a household that felt fairly safe for the most time, but my uh, dad had a really intense temper that um, for me caused me a lot of nervous system dysregulation. Now that I understand trauma on a deeper level, mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of what was going on. And so um, I think I always felt a little unsafe under a little underlyingly unsafe in relationships and a little underlyingly anxious mm -hmm. in relationships, uh, with men in particular. Um, and I didn't really understand what true safety was until I actually released the trauma from my body around fearing that someone was going to leave me. The threat of abandonment was always a really big 
fear and underlying anxiety for me. And I went through a, um, a group coaching program that helped me really understand that it was safe for me to trust other people. And so safety for me now, what that looks and feels like more so what it feels like than looks like is being able to communicate to someone how I'm actually feeling like the truth of my heart, the vulnerability, the moments when I don't feel quote unquote strong, Mm -hmm. I feel vulnerable and afraid and being able to do so maybe with a slight, like my nervous system now can do that with pretty relaxed. It's not, uh, it's not really something that dysregulates me, but in the past it would. And as I became more comfortable with it, it would, but being able to share that with someone and that person just simply being able to receive it and be like, that's okay. You're safe. And just witness it Mm -hmm. versus a lot of times what we see when that happens in partnership or any relationship for that fact, a lot of times what we'll see is that the other person gets really triggered and uncomfortable with that, the other person's vulnerability and emotional expression. Mm. And then that just typically reminds the person who's trying to express their vulnerability that like their emotions or their feelings actually aren't safe to be expressed and that they create disharmony or disconnection between themselves and the person that they're actually wanting to deeply connect with. Interesting. Yeah, no, because we have this sort of like, I find like people when they want to grow, but they don't actually have that sort of period of time where they do self-reflection and like people like, oh yeah, I I took a year out. Oh yeah, I took six months out uh, to really sort of look at myself. I would simply go, yeah, you, that's when you were conscious of it, but subconsciously you've been kind of playing, like looking at yourself bit by bit along the way. And like with that sort of looking at like that self-realization, when it's coming to more and more clarity, there are certain aspects of everyone where if they're truly looking, they look at themselves and go, oh, I don't like that about myself. Or they find themselves like, devaluing themselves but when they come out on the other side if it and this happens to different people in many different ways they find a certain new value to who they are to what their character can truly be Mm. like when you came out on that other side was there anyone who came up and actually went hey you've changed Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And some people will say, Hey, you've changed and I don't like it. (laughs) And that's okay. That's okay. That's part of the process. So there was that that came up a little bit and there were people that were like, Hey, you've changed. How did you do it? Mm. How? And that's when I also started to realize like, Oh, I'm here to help people change in the way that I transformed myself and just hold the light because I mean, going through this type of transformation and what you were addressing about people being really willing to look at themselves and be like, Oh shit, I actually don't like that about myself. Damn. That's not the way that I want to show up people. It's hard, right? It's, it's hard. And it's scary. A lot of times the reason that people avoid doing 
the self-work in the first place is because they're absolutely terrified of what they're going to find. They're so afraid of what they're going to find. And that is associated with that feeling of like deep shame. And so a lot of people choose not to go there. And I get that. It feels scary. Yeah, you've got to understand. It's like basically the reason why we love like the hero's story, everything like this, that hero's journey, it's because you've got to go through the sort of trials, tribulations, and like, yeah, sometimes yes. it's not that pretty. And sometimes it's it's seldom easy. If it is, you're not doing the right journey. <laughs> but it's one of those things where you have to go through it. If you don't go through it, you don't grow. And I think many people look at the stories and they go, I want to do this. And they're all like, then they get excited. But when they actually sit down and think, oh my God, that's a lot of work. <laughs> it's like, um, mm. Mm. and it's like, and when you mentioned, yeah, people don't like it when you change because one, that's putting a spotlight clearly on their lives and where they mm. might be coming up short. And like, basically, <sighs> how you've changed but like this is the thing like they kind of miss a sort of fundamental point why did you change you know mm, yeah and it when people ask the why you change that's when I think they can really sort of tr- truly start moving forward in the right way mm-hmm. yeah because the why is the inspiration you mm. know the why is the inspiration And I chose to change because I wanted more for myself in relationship. I also didn't, I think my belief, I'm of the belief that the soul knows the way always. And so, you know, when I started on this path, it was really like from this place of determination to be in a healthy partnership and to experience all of the joy and the love and the depth and the connection that exists there, because that's what my heart was yearning for. But what I received through the journey of self-love and self-acceptance and self-healing was so much more profound than that. And still is, um, I healed trauma that had been living in my body for years. The way that I connect with women now is amazing. My friendships have gotten better. My family relationships have healed and gotten better. Um, the way that I just feel when I wake up in the morning, my body isn't in a state of fight or flight. It's relaxed and it's calm and it's at peace and it's ready to go. It's ready to explore. Um, I don't feel, I don't have social anxiety anymore. Um, I feel relaxed and at home with who I am and, I'm less afraid of judgment, which is something that really paralyzed me for a lot of my life. I really, you know, being raised in the South as a, as a woman in the South, what I was taught was you make people feel comfortable. You say the right thing. Uh, don't say anything that could possibly ruffle feathers, be polite, stay pretty quiet and small and in a pleasing to others the line toe the line mm-hmm. and uh, and seldomly shine uh yeah mm-hmm. yeah um, like this is a thing it's interesting that you went into the realm of pharmaceutical cells basically mm-hmm. <laughs> like 
everything you said, it's literally like, yes, you've got to be front and center. Yes, you're putting yourself out there. Yes. Like social anxiety, you've got to be social and like, yeah. Uh, were you going to doctor's offices and doing the sales that way? Or were you going to conferences and doing sales that way? Either which one. <laughs> it's not like from what you're saying, uh, what you were like, how on yeah. earth, you know? Yeah. So, oh, I love that you bring this up. So to answer your first question, I was going into doctor's offices mainly. And then there were a few conferences that I worked, but they were seldom and far and few in between. I think I maybe worked one or two. Um, but what's interesting about me choosing this career was yeah. that it was something that I was told I would be good at. So I'm the type of person who is a very, um, I've always presented with confidence, even when I felt the most insecure in my life, people wouldn't really be able to tell from the outside. And I learned not to trust myself when I was younger, uh, a long, long time ago due to some childhood trauma that I experienced. And so what I would do is I would reach outside of myself often to, to, have an understanding of who I was and what I was good at. And so what I was told by people growing up was, oh, you can hold a good conversation. You present well, you come off confident, um, you're extroverted, you would be great at sales. And so what did I do? I went into sales because I didn't trust myself and my own desires. I was going based off of what other people told me I was good at, but I didn't know better. It's innocent. Um, and some of those things still are true. Like today, I actually feel as confident as I present, which feels amazing. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't mean that I feel confident every moment of every day, huh. but it's, you know, uh, it's, it's way more authentic than what it used to be. I don't have to put on an act anymore to try and be this way that I had been validated on uh, in the past. And one of my beliefs is, is that a lot of us present and place forward the persona into the world that we were validated on throughout life. So when someone was like, oh, you're outgoing and so friendly, that's so great. Okay. This is a good part of myself. I'm going to keep putting that forward. And the part of me that might be a little bit more shy or intimidated, I'm going to hide that and make sure that no one sees that because that that's a bad thing. Um, and I call that, well, it's termed the shadow self the parts of ourselves that we are not comfortable putting forward into the world. Um, and through healing work and, and what I teach, I teach a lot of shadow work with my clients is like bringing those parts of ourselves home and something about me that I hid for a really long time or that I, I guess got criticized for as a child, I got criticized for being sensitive. Um, you're so sensitive. You get your feelings hurt so easily, Austin, just toughen up. And that was kind of a lot of feedback that I got from many different people in my life. And so I took that sensitivity and I threw it in my shadow. And I was like, no one is going to find out that I am sensitive because my belief was being sensitive makes me absolutely unlovable. And so the persona that I created and I put forward, which wasn't actually the truth of who I am, was that I was like the chill girl. And that's why, you know, when red flags were coming up in relationships, I wouldn't really say anything either because I was like, oh, that would mean that I'm sensitive and that's bad. And no one likes anyone who's sensitive. Like that was my belief system. Um, and so a big piece of me coming home to myself 
uncovering the gifts that I have to share with the world and creating my services and really being true to myself was saying, okay, I'm sensitive. And can I, first of all, be okay with that? Because at first, even the thought of accepting it and being okay with it was really triggering. So first we have to like remove that charge and just practice the acceptance of I'm sensitive and that's okay. And then, you know, eventually with time and through more healing, you start to see the gifts in, the, in, in sensitivity. And I believe that sensitivity is a huge superpower if it's used appropriately. When I'm working with my clients, I can sense into what they're feeling a lot of the times and I can ask and confirm with them if they're feeling those things. And it makes me a more intuitive coach and be able to serve people quicker and more efficiently. Um, and if I have my hypersensitivity on all day, it might feel really overwhelming in this world. There's a lot going on out there and no. I don't need to, to oh. sense into everything. Oh. <laughs> oh, you know what? There is nothing really going on in this world. It's not like, you know what I mean? going through a global pandemic on, on the- <laughs> not like hey there's po- possible chance of like thermonuclear war gonna happen any moment and yeah it's all fine cost of living going up no that's not enough fiction no nope. everything's <laughs> fine we're we're chilling <laughs> yep like that dog sitting in the room like when everything burning around them it's fine i'm okay with this situation it's like i'm all good with the happenings of what's going on right now but like Mm -hmm. this is the thing when like putting stuff into as you say the shadows uh for oneself surely like when you're doing that you're like cutting so much out from who you are so it's like yeah like okay i i'm a strong believer that most people know around about 40 percent of themselves at all Mm -hmm. times okay and the more like sort of adversity the more times you look go into that realm of discomfort and like yeah you look at yourself you get to know yourself a bit better and a bit better like yeah i always say watch out for anyone who goes i know myself 100 percent because they have done some dark stuff in their life (laughs) (laughs) or been close to it it's like yeah Uh, but i would say if you're putting stuff into the shadows that for that 40 percent can easily drop down to like 35 percent 30 percent like 10 percent like it can drop really dangerously low and you don't really sort of develop or really move forward as a person you know mm-hmm. have you found this to be the case with sort of many of the sort of people you've worked with mm-hmm. yeah Austin your sound has gone off Uh oh. Austin. Are you back? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yes. Yay. Okay. I apologize. No worries. Um, to answer your question about the shadow, yeah, that's a really good point. I have never thought of it that way, but I think it's a great you know, way to conceptualize what's actually happen happening. Um, and the truth is, is that if we only know, or if we're only presenting with 35% of ourselves, um, we're not really being authentic. And 
I've found that with a lot of my clients, it tends to, to vary based on what they were taught about themselves growing up or the life experiences that they've had and how sensitive they were to those experiences. Um, some clients experience more shadow than others. I personally had a, a ton of shadow. And so I have, I have, a, it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about teaching this work because it really brought me home to myself. Um, but usually shadow is anything that we have experienced pain or shame for. So anything that we if we had a life experience where someone criticized us in some way, shape or form that we internalized as, oh, that makes me bad. That makes me wrong. That makes me dirty. That makes me unlovable. That makes me unlikable. Those are usually the things that we're putting away into the shadow. And when we put those things away, we are totally dismissing our gifts because there's a lot of gold in the shadow. Sometimes the shadow, the, the shadow pieces of ourselves are what make us so unique. And it's my belief that our uniqueness is also our edge in this world. Um, it's what allows us to really stand out. And so we end up wanting, it's almost like we're trying to conform to be the thing that we think other people are going to accept and love and validate, but we lose ourselves in that process. And we also really lose the people and the opportunities that are truly meant for us because when we're actually showing up in our truth and our authenticity, we are a vibrational match to the things that are truly meant for us. That's my belief. And so through becoming more truthful to who I am and to who um, I'm meant to be and through being more transparent and allowing people to really see all of myself, you know, it was a painful process. And it is for a lot of my clients too, because there's going to be connections and people that are like, no, no, that's, and they'll, they're going to reject you. And that's part of it. And then there's going to be people that are like, wow, like you're my person and I want to spend more time with you. And I want to, you know, start a business or create something with you, or I want to date you. Um, it's, it's our magnetism. My belief is that how, however true we are being to ourselves is however magnetic we actually are. But so many of us have been taught that it's not safe for us to really be who we truly are because of the criticism or the pain and shame that we experienced from other people around us, whether that be our peers, our teachers, our caregivers, other family members, previous partners. Uh, and so we have to kind of dig through the shadow to be like, okay, you know, what pieces in here have, and what parts of myself am I neglecting that are actually such a gift to the world? And how can I create enough safety in my body and enough security in my nervous system to start to, to bring these pieces of myself back home mm -hmm. and to allow myself to be seen in them? Oftentimes that tends to be the hardest part is we'll identify the thing, but then are we really going to let someone see, you know, in, in the example I gave earlier, am I really going to let someone see my true sensitivity or am I just going to start? 
and it's, you know, it's a process. The first step is actually reclaiming your sensitivity or reclaiming the shadow. But the next step is like, am I going to be brave and courageous enough to let people see me and the thing that I think makes me unlovable? Mm, yeah, I think the word brave is a very important point. Now, the whole thing is like, okay, if you're trying to make a fundamental change in your life in some form of way, look, that for many a lady, it might be like, okay, I want to change career. I want to see the world. I want to like, yes, get, find that, that one and settle down, get married, like pump out some kids. It's, it's an array of things, but the whole thing is who you, like, who you are at, at basically how the world perceives you and how you perceive yourself and to move on to that next thing it's a very sort of scary step indeed because it's like okay if you perceive yourself one way and the world perceives you another way and you try to find out how you truly perceive yourself both things you might hold true might become strangers to you over the course of time uh, in in order to find this new person your true authentic self and like sort of that comes at a cost it comes at a price like yeah it can cost you friends family but you can like you can gain a lot of things it might mean you might have to relocate to like the other side of the country uh, because that where you are is that is not where you're meant to be in that environment so having the bravery to do that to sort of let go of everything to then like go to grab onto something else got to be brave Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the thing is that we all have that bravery within us, um, that courage within us. It's just a matter of accessing it. Mm. And I think the true activator is motivation for change. So if you find yourself in a position where you're not fulfilled or you're unhappy, so like myself and many of my clients, they feel stuck in the same old dating patterns and they're continuing to be in relationships that have a lot of unhealthy patterning um, and they're frustrated and they're ready to, for that to change. They're ready to have an experience, the deeply fulfilling relationship. It's that motivator to have the thing that is not there that really allow it's the desire i think that allows us to motivate to change mm. but go ahead no i was going to say you like you mentioned motivate to change but like this is the thing i always see motivation as the spark but discipline to change mm. is the thing what fan, keeps fanning that spark and turns it into a blaze uh to sort of feed, like keep feeding the fun like the, keeps feeding the fire and like keeps that spark going so like when, like when I hear motivation, I go, okay, I'm motivated to run five miles tomorrow. And then basically the morning comes. Now, if that motivation's gone, I'm not going to do that run. But if I've got the discipline, it's like, yeah, I might have that spark. I'm going to run five miles tomorrow. But the discipline is the thing which is going to make me get up and get out there and do that run. The discipline is going to be the thing which is going to be the foundation, what's going to keep me pushing forward to make that change happen, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yes, absolutely. Discipline is a requirement. And I'm glad that you noted that because motivation can waver. And we do have to have the discipline intact, you know, um, and one of the first things that I always work on my clients with is discipline because a lot of us, many of us probably weren't taught to maybe take great care of ourselves or show up to some sort of self-reflection or practices that allow for us to understand ourselves more deeply. And so we start there with small, tiny promises that we're able to keep for ourselves on a daily basis because consistency is going to rewire the subconscious mind as well. And it's going to create this sense of safety in our body where we're starting to prioritize ourselves and self-reflection and getting to know ourselves. And so the body kind of relaxes because it starts to feel like a priority again. Um, But it's not always easy getting to that space of you know, the body knowing and trusting that you're going to show up to it every single day. Um, we have to, you know, make, I always like to, to help my clients make the promises that they're keeping to themselves small enough to the point that they, they trust that they can keep it. And that it's like, we start bite-sized and then we build upon that, um, and grow the promises and the commitment to self as we start to build and establish that muscle of discipline, but yeah, it's absolutely required 100% for any type of change or transformation. Mm. And with the small bricks you put into place, I, I have to ask, like, is there like, is there one, is there a sort of common starting place you found with your clients? Or is it sort of like all over the shop? Great question. So usually it depends on where my client is at in their personal development journey. Sometimes Uh I get women who are already in a really solid practice of being with themselves and understanding themselves. Um, Those those particular clients I'll start with a different regimen or we'll just build upon what they've already created for themselves. And we also will go through like what's working and what isn't, because it's also important to take time to do a little inventory check of like, which one of these practices are actually serving me. Now, a lot of my clients will come in and they don't really have any uh, type of practices or rituals set up for themselves to get to know themselves and to start the healing work. And so my two staples, which a lot of people talk about, but there's science behind it and um, they're just incredible practices and they're simple journaling and meditation. So meditation is, I think a lot, uh, there's kind of a common belief that I hear a lot, which is I'm not good at meditation. And so what I tell people who say they don't feel like they're good at meditation is I'm like, listen, if you are choosing to sit down and be in your own energy for five to 10 minutes a day and close your eyes and just choosing to be with yourself with zero distractions, that gets to be your definition of meditation right now. Like, let's make it not this challenging, um, impossible task of getting to a place where you don't have thoughts to me, that's not the purpose of med. Well, to, to a lot of people, that is the purpose of meditation. To me, I feel like that's a little too far-fetched for someone who's just beginning a practice. So I'm like, listen, we're going to start small and simple 
five to five to 10 minutes of you just sitting down in silence with your eyes closed in the same spot every single day and just choosing to be in your own energy. Like that is enough. That is enough to begin. Um, and journaling is just so fantastic for processing and for moving the thoughts that, you know, I think a lot of us have thoughts that we maybe wouldn't even really want to admit to others that we have, and those need a place to go. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Put it this way, the inner psyche is a, how can I say, a dark and twisted soul. Uh, If you, if you, (laughs) some of the things people say to themselves, if they, if there was a person on the street saying it to them, they'll be like, (laughs) crack right to the face. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> so yes mm. <clears throat> sorry you were saying <laughs> sorry yeah you. no I agree with you completely um <laughs> it's crazy you know to think I think a, uh I think some of us don't even know how harsh our inner critic is and so journaling will reveal that to us mm-hmm. um and also just moving the thoughts onto paper is going to help move that energy so that it's, you're not just continuing to loop on the, on the same thought path. Um, you're interrupting your thought patterns when you're writing them out. Um, and so the, the staple thing that I kind of call my journaling for my clients when they first start is I'm like, it's just a brain dump. That's it. Like any thoughts that you've been having, just write, 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 write. Um, there, there's a study that says 12 minutes of, of, uh, writing is helpful. Um, and so a lot of times I'll just have my clients start out with like 10 to 12 minutes of writing per day and the five to 10 minutes of meditation. And that's a really good starting stepping stone. And then you build from there. And then that way they're only really committed to like 20 minutes max of showing up to themselves. If they haven't been doing that at all, um, 20 minutes is a great place to start and you get to do two different activities. Um, that are going to positively influence your neuroplasticity and help you start to rewire the subconscious mind. Mm. Building those, like building those positive habits, because like so, we so easily fall into our bad habits on a sort of daily basis, and like to sort of rewire uh, those habits. Like, okay, look, trust me, look, when Stranger, when the final part of Stranger Things comes out, I will sit down. I'll literally watch every single one of them. I, uh, mm-hmm. But it's one of those things where I think people fall into these habits and they've done it for such a long time. They think changing those like habits for a positive thing is going to be easier. And when you go 20 minutes of meditation, people like go 20 minutes. It's like, going, okay, be silent for 20 minutes in your own thoughts. People like, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's not easy that's kind of hard right for 12 like 12 minutes each day about what's been going on like some people are like no I can't do that but when they start and if they build that habit before they know it they're most already writing pages and like yeah being able to meditate like literally anywhere like just sitting down the bus going on a train like wherever but it's like getting those habits in so so difficult I don't know how you manage to do it yourself but you know what I mean (laughs) yeah absolutely um it's a muscle you know it's 
it's like saying if you've never been to the gym before or picked up a weight in your entire life that, you know, you need to go to the gym and work out for an hour, you know, that that would be like a new meditator being told that they need to meditate for 20 minutes. So, um, you don't do that, right. You start slow and small, and then you build confidence because the more promises that we keep to ourselves and the more times that we show up to these promises and we prove to ourselves that we can do it, the more, the more confidence it's being built. And so then that's what really allows us to grow and develop over time. Mm. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. I have to ask like with regards to like you have, like you've like most really through your coaching job now, seen a lot of people and speak spoken to a lot of people about their sort of different relationships and how they think how it thinks uh would you say people are realistic about what they truly can they want from themselves or what's going on out there because like sometimes like there was this i think it was a uh um steve harvey there was like this lady who had 50 different things she wanted from her ideal guy it's like mm-hmm. this and like if this person and it was like you went she went through the list they were like they were like, okay much of the stuff contradicted like something which was just previously said like just mm-hmm. now do you get a vibe that people are realistic or unrealistic or just plain delusional or they're like, this is it. I feel like I see two different types of people. There are some people that like you mentioned, have a really long list and some of the things on the list contradict what they actually, you know, the thing before. And Mm. sometimes the list is so long and specific. And I see that person not embodying any of the qualities that are on that list. Um, that's something that I work with people on is like, if there's a really big contrast between what you want in partnership, like you want an emotionally mature man, but you're not showing up emotionally mature in your life, that's going to be a little challenging for you to match with an emotionally mature man. Um, so that's a, a big thing that I see. Um, and then another thing that I also see sometimes is actually the opposite where women, I, I work with a lot of women. And women will feel there's this energy of defeat where they're just like, I don't, I know what I want, but I don't think it's possible. I don't, I don't think it's possible. I'm asking for too much. And they feel like the relationship that they want to experience doesn't exist. They see that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually have to work with women a lot around that belief system. And so one of the things that I have my clients do if they are in the process of attracting and calling in a relationship and they're ready for partnership is I have them make a list. It's not just a list of all the things that they want, but I have them really get into the energy of what does it feel like to be in a relationship with, with your ideal person? Like, what does that actually feel like? What does a day in the life with them look like? And what does it feel like? 
And I have them focus a little bit more on the energy between themselves and their partner, because that's actually what matters way less than a list of like, I want him to be six, two, and I want him to make this much money. And I want him to have this job. Like (laughs) that's to me is silly. Um, it's not that you can't have those things. It's just that like, you're missing the point, right? The point, if you want to be in a healthy, thriving, deeply fulfilling partnership is that you care about what you're going to feel. Why do we want anything? Because we want to feel a certain way when we get the thing. That's usually why we desire for things. So connect with what it is that you actually want to feel like. And then we start talking about, oh, I really want to feel protected by my partner. I want to feel supported. I want to feel cherished and seen and valued and respected. And then we start talking about the energy versus I, you know, the superficial things. Um, and so I think that that's important to note on for anyone who is calling in partnership is to be focusing on what it is that you want to feel in that union. Um, and, starting to embody more of that. If you want a partner who is respectful, how are you being respectful to the people that are in your life currently? Are there any areas where you're maybe disrespecting a boundary? Can you uh, improve there? Um, Starting to to really embody the things that you want to experience in a relationship with a partner, with your friends and your family and your colleagues, so that you're already a vibrational match to that person. And once they arrive, you're going to energetically feel that they're a match versus being hung up on, well, he didn't drive this type of car or he doesn't have this type of job, or, you know, he doesn't, he's not this enough or that enough, not getting hung up on that stuff and, and being more into the feeling of what it feels like to actually be in this person's presence and to connect with them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, going through the super, like, but you always got to go through the superficial before you can get to the official. Um, but it's, it's the nature of life, unfortunately, but you know what I mean? But like, I am curious, like, okay. Like when guys find out about what you do, what is, what is, they must know. There must be three sort of common questions they ask you from the get. What are those three questions? Oh, yeah. It's interesting because I will say that when I tell men what I do for work, a common response that I get is like kind of, ooh, I don't want to broach that subject. Um, Or I'll get someone who's super curious, which feels great. I love when someone is curious about my work because I love talking about it. Um, I, I, a lot of times the question will be kind of more about like, what, what do women want? Like, what are they looking for? That kind of curiosity of like getting into the psychology of, um, the psyche, the woman's psyche around dating. Um, a lot of times they'll ask me how I got in to what I'm doing, which I think is a pretty common question trying to think of another question that I've been asked. A lot of times they'll just start to tell me what's going on with their relationship life or their love life. And they'll, they'll want my perspective on it. Um, and yeah, you know, I did have one man ask me one time is, is our, 
women thinking that dating is as hard as I'm thinking it is right now? Like, you know, am, am I the only one that really feels this way? Like, what are, what are women thinking about the dating scene in life right now? You know, and this was during the pandemic. Um, so yeah, they tend to be questions that have to do with that person personally. Mm. Um, and like kind of the psyche, uh, the female psyche around dating and relationships. Yeah, because like this is the thing when you like mention like the guy saying what women want, it's I think in some regards for like how can I put in the realm of the realm of man, like the sort of definition of what a man should be in today's society is <laughs> it's kind of all over the place depending where you look at it. look like oh i need you to be the strong stoic type oh no i need you to be sensitive oh no i need you to be that leader it's like just some of the things and like you're like all oh, right for many guys out there i think it's a case of <laughs> what like what should i be and like the whole thing like that's what they most really say out loud, like to themselves, maybe amongst a clue, like a couple of close friends, or more painfully, they keep they say it to themselves and actually never say it or talk about it because they're scared, you know? Mm. Yeah, I love that you brought this up. I couldn't agree with you more. And my answer for that question just came through so loud and clear. The answer for what should a man be right now? Honest, mm. honest. The feminine does not trust the masculine. That's a theme. I don't want to say that that's for everyone, but with a lot of the women that I work with, they do not trust. And it's because they've been lied to, or there's been a lack of integrity. And that's not every single man, <laughs> but there's a theme, there's a theme, there's a theme, and we've got to address themes. And it doesn't mean that it's everyone. There are so many good men out there. So many good men. But the best thing that any man can do is be honest. Mm, like honest, yeah. Like this is the thing. I think honest and authentic, truly authentic yes. themselves. Uh, and this is the thing. It also extends that comes back to truly knowing themselves. Uh, so mm -hmm. like answering that scary question, having those conversations. Because like this is the thing. Like I would say, there is like, and I'm not. I'm not talking for the whole of mankind, but like, you know, I mean, it's a case of, yeah, until like, yeah, individually, I have conversations with other people, other people, like other guys, girls, like people all over the sort of spectrum. I start to get to know myself better and like move that like 40% into 50%. Like hopefully before the yes. day I die, like, yeah, maybe 70% dare I be so bold. But to truly sort of get to know myself better and like, yeah, move forward. And like, this is the thing. I think when I, like, when I can be truly authentic and I try to be truly authentic, I think when other men can be truly authentic and other ladies be truly authentic, they can truly grow together. Look, don't get me wrong. There are shitheads on both sides of the fence, mm -hmm. yes. by all means. And I think one of the things what, often hold people back as well they have this realm of there's this realm of scarcity when like okay there's there's eight 
like almost eight and a half billion people on this planet. And yes. you know what? And it's not like, it's not like times of, of yore where, okay, you only had to know people in a small village right next, like that was your community and that was it. You can travel, you can get on aircraft, you can talk on the internet and everything like this. There is an abundance of opportunities to yes. meet that right person, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> I completely agree with you. Um, you know, and to my last point where I mentioned about women coming to me and just feeling like the thing that they want isn't possible. The first thing I say to them is, do you know how many people we have on the planet right now? There's not even, I don't even want to limit you to saying that if there's one person you could build the relationship you're looking to build with, there are many, there are lots of the ones for you on this planet. And there are many opportunities for you to meet that person and come across them. And something I also like to talk about is like, where is your focus and your energy? Um, are you opening your energy up? to allow yourself to meet people? Are you opening your energy up to possibility to what could be possible for you? Or are you so focused that you don't even allow people in mm. that you're not, that you're not opening to possibility your, your, your tunnel vision. Um, and that's not, you know, and, and, and the things that I talk about are nuanced, right? So it depends on each person and where they are and how they approach dating. But I see that sometimes. And so um, that's the first place that I'll go is like, statistically, you are, you, the odds are in your favor. <laughs> and <laughs> <Yay. there you laughs> yes, yes. I will say on the other end of that spectrum, with, you know, the dating apps and there are so many people on the planet there becomes this like overwhelm of like, oh my gosh, there's so many options. Mm. Um, and so people get kind of this, uh, anxiety around making the right decision or the best decision. And while I think it's helpful for some people who maybe haven't been as discerning in the past with who they're choosing to be in partnership, to be a little bit more discerning and focus on making a good decision. Um, there's also the people who are trying to make the best possible decision. And maybe they need to just actually, one of the patterns that I see is people that are trying to make the best possible decision, just end up dating no one. And so you've got to be like, this feels pretty good and aligned. I'm willing to explore this connection with this person. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. The next most aligned thing will, will, because uh, we learn from partnership and relationship. We learn what we like and what we don't like, what we want more of, what we want less of. It's a refinement process. And so I do think that there's a lot of value in allowing ourselves to, you know, date and to really put ourselves out there and allow ourselves to experience other people and in relationship. Um, so it kind of depends on which end of the spectrum you fall on. If you're, if you tend to be more of a person that, um, is, maybe wanting to make the best possible decision ever. And so you kind of end up not dating, um, as often, you know, you might benefit from just making a decision to explore a connection with someone. Um, but then there's also the like energy of, oh, there's so many options. What if this one isn't, I hear from a lot of women that 
they experience men being like, they, they feel like they're kind of disposable to men because they can go get on an app and find another woman the next day. Mm. Um, so that's a real thing too, that needs to be addressed. Um, and I've actually had conversations with my younger brother about this in the past. He's in a, a, a really beautiful relationship now, but in the past, he's like, yeah, you know, like there's just so many options. It's like, you, you want to try them all out and try them all on. Um, so I understand that there can be a curiosity in that, but there's also, if we get too caught up in that, yeah. we're, we're actually missing intimacy connection experience. And that's really what a lot of us want. Did your brother tell you the reason why he like found his re- like current relationship? Just out, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. I think he'd be okay with me sharing this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's beautiful because he's four years younger than me. So he's 27. He'll be 28 soon. Um, and he has been in a phase of life where he has been dating around a lot and not really committing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the woman that he is in a partnership with now, she challenges him is what he shared with me. And he, she has, she has high self-worth. She doesn't let him get away with bullshit for lack of a better term. Um, she is honest. She calls him out when he's out of line in the sense of being disrespectful or, um, you know, I, I, that's kind of the gist of it. I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing, uh, but I think it's that she, she knows her value and her worth. And, uh, I think she, you know, she stands in that and there's a level of knowing our value and our worth. It's so important, especially, I mean, for everyone, but especially for women, because of that piece that I mentioned earlier around, sometimes we will forego our, our self-love and our authenticity for connection. Mm-hmm. And because that's the yearning of the feminine heart typically is that connection and that love and that intimacy, but we can't lose ourselves in that. And so it's this fine dance and fine line between really knowing our worth and like loving ourselves and knowing and trusting that we deserve the best and we deserve what it is that our heart desires. And if someone isn't capable of meeting us there, or if someone's showing us through their words or actions that they're not capable of meeting us there, that's okay. But we have to be willing to say, and I know I'm worth more. So I'm going to have to let you go. Yeah. But like, this is the thing. I think when someone, like when people know their worth, and I think it goes like when they meet, there is this sort of, I don't, it's not something I can go, they know it instantly, but they kind of sense it and they pick up on it from each other. And that leads things to go on to bet to a better place. I think mm-hmm. when people when one person knows their self-worth and the other one doesn't, that's when it just goes wrong. That's where mm-hmm. it goes. And like this is like on both sides of the feds. That's where you know that relationship will be like, yeah. No, mm-hmm. it's not going anywhere. And yeah, I'm, well, thank you for sharing your brother's story. And like, you know, <laughs> like this is the thing, the way you describe your brother, I'm like, I'm, you didn't go into complete detail, but like, let's just say, um, <laughs> your brother was a dog at a time. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> just say, 
No, no. <laughs> uh, won't judge. <laughs> yeah. But like, <laughs> but I have to like, yeah. One of my last sort of questions, because our time is whew, rapidly coming to an end. Like now, I have to ask, where do you want your journey to go in the next few years? Where do you want it to go? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. So there's a part of me that wants to be surprised by it, wants to allow my purpose to lead me where I'm meant to go. So I have this level of like, the mystery is nice. Mm -hmm. And there's another part of me that's really certain. Um, My biggest passion is helping people feel safe and good at home in their bodies so that they can connect deeply and intimately with others. Because I, I believe that that's what the heart and the soul is really yearning for is deep connection with one another. But in this day and age, a lot of us don't know how to do that in a healthy way. Um, and so it's my purpose and my passion to help people understand how to create deeper intimacy and connection by first healing themselves and creating safety in their own bodies. And then also learning how to co-create that within a relationship. So I just actually started opening up my practice to working with men as well, because I really believe that we, we rise together, you know, um, we can't just do this without the men. We need everyone participating. And so I want to really help men heal the parts of themselves that have prevented them from creating the intimacy and the safety that they want to experience in a relationship as well. Um, and I really want to one day be able to do in-person experiences with both men and women, whether that's a retreat or, um, some sort of couples coaching event, something in the area of helping people actually feel safe in their bodies when relating with one another. So ah, with this, like, do you see this in a three-year time scale, five-year time scale? I hope three. I hope three. You know, we are in this age of the internet where so many things can be done virtually, just like you and I are virtual right now. Um, And there's such a beauty and a gift to that. And simultaneously, my yearning and my craving is to be in person with people. I love it so much. Um, So ideally, it would be something that I could uh, scale to and, you know, two, three years, that would be amazing. And if it's a five-year plan, then I trust that that's the timing that my path is created for me. And I'm okay with that too. La, absolute final question. What has surprised you most from your transformation from drug sales rep to dating and relationship coach today? Great question. What has surprised me? Hmm. I've got meditating people. (laughs) I want to, I want to, I haven't thought of this before. And it's a good reflection question, reflection point. I think honestly, I've surprised myself. Um, The confidence that has been built and instilled in me by going from this little dream that I had to help women and serve women 
to being able to even speak with you on this podcast. My, when I was in pharmaceutical sales and probably even at the beginning of my business, I didn't really feel comfortable using my voice. It was something that I was really developing. And now this is my greatest passion and joy is to have these types of conversations and use my voice. So I think the biggest thing that surprised me is that I would feel comfortable really using my voice and sharing my message and not feel super nervous or uncomfortable. I came into this with no nerves, which is something that if you told me two or three years ago that I could record a podcast with an amazing stranger across the world and not feel nervous before. <laughs> yes, you. Oh. Yes, you. Uh, I would have been like, uh, that sounds great, but I'm not sure if I believe you. So I think, you know, there's a level of surprising myself, which is exciting. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, our time's come to an end. And like, you know what? I love it. Thank you. Mm, awesome. Thank you. Oh, no, no. Yeah, it's been a joy. It's been <laughs> a pleasure. Now, can you tell the lovely people how they can find you out on these interwebs? Absolutely. I am very straightforward and simple. If you want to connect with me or ask me a question or curious about working with me, you can find me on Instagram, which is my handle is at aus, A-U-S underscore Armstrong. And I love to connect with people there. You can always send me a DM, a message. And I also have a little link tree that will show you how to get in touch and work with me. Oh, brilliant. I will put all of the information into the show notes, into the description. So please uh, get in contact with my lovely lady here. And yes, <laughs> see how far you can go, I say. See how far you can go. Austin, yes. it's been a pleasure and an honor. An honor. Good grief. <laughs> Yes, I have to rewind it there. <laughs> and I'd like to say thank you to you, my friends, my life warriors, for sticking with us uh, to the end of the show. Please stay safe, stay well, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic. Be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. Have a great day, guys. Yes. Peace. And we are...